0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and when you're there, stand with me. We are going to read our text this morning. We are... We are two sermons away from closing out this this letter, Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and uh, we find ourselves in verses 5 through 8 this morning. So for context purposes, I want to begin in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning beginning in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. We ask you this morning, Lord, to speak into our hearts. Lord, get get all distractions away even now, Lord. We ask you to just help us to be hyper-focused on your voice this morning. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this passage? I want to know what your word has to say to me this morning, Lord. This is our prayer. Will you come and speak into our lives, Lord? We're not here for religious duty, Lord. We're here because we love you. And we want to know what you would have to say to us this morning. And we know you're faithful to speak. So give us ears to hear. And give us hearts to obey, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to start this morning with a question. What do you think uh, all successful people have in common? What is one thing... That all successful people have in common. Just shout out some attributes that you think successful people have in common. What are they? Whoa! Yes, you're right. Enthusiasm. There you go. Determination. Discipline. Perseverance. A great wife. That that right there is the super key. You know, commitment, perseverance, uh, you know, drive, relentless pursuit. Uh, You know, they're not quitters. These are all great attributes that probably every successful person has, but I think that there's one in particular that we could summarize everything, and it's this. They don't make excuses. There are no excuses uh, in a a person who's become successful. They're committed and driven to accomplish the goal at all costs. And when anything comes into their path, they're going to pursue and overcome. They're not going to make excuses. Well, I would have done it if, but that's not in their vocabulary. They're committed. They don't make excuses. According to George Washington Carver, if you don't know him, he's a scientist who figured out a gazillion ways to, for, uh, to use the peanut, right? So George Washington Carver said, uh, some of you homeschoolers are like, yeah, that's not exactly it, but you got it kind of, right? Um, <laughs> 99% of all failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses, 99%. Failures come from people who have a habit of making excuses. Excuses set you up to fail. And they'll get you nowhere in a hurry. Um, You know, no one in life is ever going to say, man, I'm so glad I made excuses my whole life. That has served me incredibly well. Uh, No one's going to say that. To the contrary, though, I think many people are going to say, man, I wish I hadn't made so many excuses. I wish I hadn't given myself so many outs. I wish I had just persevered and pushed through things. I wish I wouldn't have given myself a reason to quit. That's called regret, by the way, which is the only kind of fruit that excuses can yield. I want you to think for a moment. One day when you stand before the Lord and he says, What do you have to say for yourself and what you did with your life after you came to Christ? What do you have to say for yourself? I wonder if we'll be able to say, Lord, I did everything I knew to do to bring glory to your name. Or will we begin to start to make excuses? Well, Lord, if I had only had more time, God, if I had maybe been in a different financial position. God, if I, what is the excuse? Here's the reality is, in that moment, there are no excuses. There are no excuses. You think like, whoa, Pastor Tim, you're coming out of the box kind of hard, aren't you? You know what I think? I think this is the, this is the kind of tone that Paul is uh, bringing to Timothy in this moment because uh, this, is, this is mission critical here. And in this moment, just by way of reminder, Paul's in prison. He knows he's going to give his life up. He knows he's going to die. And, you know, we've been talking about that and all that kind of stuff. But many scholars believe that perhaps as Timothy is writing these words right here, that maybe this is days before he dies, or perhaps even the evening of a moment when he lays his head upon the chopping blocks and gives his life for the gospel's sake. He says here in verse 6, my time for departure has come. My time for departure has come. He's not saying it is coming. He says it has come. Perhaps he knows something that we don't. Perhaps he knows that, that his life is, it, is going to be taken in just a few short hours. Here's the reality is we don't know exactly where this fits in the picture, but we do know that he knew that he was going to give his life up, and we do know that, you know, the last words of somebody, particularly that are passing the baton of the gospel to another, to, to a protege or to a disciple, that they're going to be pretty serious about it. These words are super serious. And so Timoth- uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's, you know, the pleasantries are over. It's time to get down to the nitty-gritty, as my favorite theologian, Nacho Libre, says. What is the nitty-gritty here? What is the nitty-gritty? What's the nitty-gritty in verses 5 through 8? Here's the nitty-gritty. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. That's the title of my message this morning. That phrase, fulfill your ministry, in the Greek, listen, could literally read like this. Your service fully carry out. Your service fully carry out the new living translation says it like this fully carry out the ministry God has given you. It means that we're supposed to stay on mission that we're, we're supposed that we have a specific ministry we have a minister or ministries that we are called to that we are supposed to be faithful to and to fulfill and really if you haven't noticed First Timothy and 2 Timothy are all about that. That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. If you could summarize uh, Paul's, you know, all his sort of exhortations to Timothy and maybe a a few words, it would be fulfill your ministry. That's what he's saying to him. Timothy, don't get sucked into the world. Timothy, don't allow your own person to. To get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. Don't allow y- your, uh, you know, your lack of, uh, you know, uh, of, of, uh, um, I'm losing a word. <laughs> what? Experience. Experience. Yeah. We'll go with that one. Experience. <laughs> so don't let your lack of experience, you know, your confidence. Don't allow your lack of confidence to share the word of God. Get in the way. Timothy, you have no excuses. You need to fulfill your ministry, and I think that that's you know when we get to these very last verses in this uh, letter. This is the very last letter Paul writes, and then he dies. I think it's to that degree that he's speaking to Timothy. Dude, fulfill your ministry, man. You you can expect to face hardships. You can expect to face hostility. You can can expect to to face rejection. You can expect to, to, to face persecutions. Nevertheless, no excuses, fulfill your ministry. Take note that there is no room in this entire epistle for excuses. Nowhere does Paul say to Timothy... If it suits your schedule, fulfill your ministry. Nowhere does he say, you know, if you feel like it, fulfill your ministry. This is an imperative command. It's something Timothy must do. And not only Timothy, but it's something you and I must do. Although this is a personal letter to a disciple of, of Paul, to his son in the faith, this is also a corporate letter to the church that God is saying, fulfill your ministry Christian you have a ministry to fulfill you are called to ministry that word ministry means service Well, what service what, what, what is it that he's speaking of your life service to the Lord it's a whole life given over to Christ and saying I'm here to serve you Lord whatever it is that you're, you want me to do I'll do you know what he doesn't want to hear? Excuses. He doesn't want to hear, well, if only I had more time. I, we, we could make a gazillion excuses. I come up with some really good ones in my mind. Oh, Lord, if. And he doesn't want to hear that. He says, Timothy. That's my name, by the way, Timothy. <laughs> Super personal to me here. Hey, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, serve me. Listen, and here's what we need to understand about ministry, is I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what that word means. Again, it's service. It, it's context, by the way, isn't just within the four walls of this building. That's a type of ministry, but that's not Ministry, totally. That doesn't collectively define the word ministry. Ministry happens inside and outside the four walls of the church. Anything you do in the name of Christ is ministry. You go to talk to a friend who is struggling with things and you begin to minister to them, that's called ministry. Somebody in your co worker at work is, you know, asked for prayer and you pray for them, that's called ministry. You're in the grocery line talking to somebody, and, and you share how great God is. That's called ministry, service to God. Uh, you're walking down the road. You see some trash on the ground. You pick it up. Do you know what that's called? Ministry. I can't tell you how many times God has, um, has made me turn around. In my car and I'm driving down a 31 or somewhere, you know, um, and, and there's a, a bag of trash or somebody, you know, has thrown out or it's fallen out of their truck or whatever. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It fell out. So we'll say that. But, um, you know, and I see it there. And I just keep driving. And the Lord says, hey, go pick that up. I'm like, huh? You know what my kids would say? They ain't mine. I ain't picking that up. No, no, Timothy, go pick it up. So I go turn around several times, pick it up, put it in my car. That's ministry. You know why? Because this land, although it may be your land and it may be my land, it's really his land. And the reality of it is, is that everywhere you look, is everything is his. And so anything you do with him in mind, then, is called ministry. And we are called to be ministers, to be servants of Christ, to be servants of the Lord. Now, our primary ministry is to share the gospel with people. Yes, that's our primary ministry because that is an eternal ministry that, uh, you know, has effect upon someone's life forever. But, you know, uh, the, the basic service to God uh, is is as important to him because he's doing things in, in those moments that you don't recognize. You know, you read the Old Testament and you think about the Levites, right? They were responsible for taking down the tabernacle and putting it up and, you know, what if you were the guy that was responsible for the rope, for the walls? What if you were the guy that was responsible for the stakes in the ground? Your whole life is this, clink, 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 That's what you do. You know what that's called? Ministry. And so we, we can't look at, you know, simple things that we do with, for Christ's sake, for his name's sake, as anything less than ministry. And, um, you know, I'm afraid that oftentimes we overlook very, very the small things and we don't title it correctly. It's ministry. If you do it for Christ, if you do it for the Lord, it's ministry. And you're called to fulfill your ministry. Most of the time, what i found talking to Christians is uh, a, large, a large percentage of Christians don't know what they're called to do. They don't understand what their ministries are. And, and let, me, let me help you with that this morning because it, it's pretty simple. To serve him. Serve him somewhere. Do something. Pick up trash. Clean toilets. Do something. And and here's what I found in my own personal life is when I start to fulfill my ministry, God starts to make it a little bit clearer about what exactly that is. Uh, um, You know, we want him to give us a title. But some of us will never get a title except for servant. And, and, you know, there are offices in the church, you know. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, you know. Um, there, there's pastors and teachers and uh, apostles and prophets and, and evangelists. And um, those are offices in the church that not everybody will, will host or, or, you know, hold a position like that. But we all have one thing in common. We're servants. And we're called to ministry. So don't get hung up on what the ministry is. Just begin to serve. I'm so thankful that a guy that discipled me right when I got saved he started to minister to me, and he said, Hey, uh, you need to serve. And I was like, Huh? I had no, I had no clue. About I didn't you know about church or anything about that stuff. Um, I didn't think about what has to happen in order for a church to function and all those kind of things. I didn't care to be honest. I was just like, this is all new to me, but I'm thankful that my sins are forgiven. You know, and uh, but my buddy said, hey, you need to serve somewhere. What 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 can you do? Um, I can play guitar, I guess. So guess what? Two weeks after I was born again, I was on the worship team. <laughs> I got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, what is that? So, but here's what I do know: God was revealing things to me because I had a heart to serve. And you know, um, I, I moved from that church to a different church, and I got involved. And I'm still like, well, you know, I can I can play guitar, but is that really my ministry? I can, could I? You know, is, is that my ministry? So I went to my pastor in Sarasota, Florida, and I said, hey, I want to serve somewhere. Do you need anybody to clean toilets? Or do w- you need anybody to do anything? I'll do whatever. I just want to do something for the Lord. And so I started to clean the bathrooms, and, uh, um, and I also began to, to run sound. They didn't have anybody to do that. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not a sound guy. Remember? <laughs> That's what I do. I don't know that stuff, but... I learned it. Why? Because they needed that. And so I began to serve in that capacity. And here's the thing. Then the Lord started to say, hey Tim, I'm going to get a little bit more specific with you. I want you to lead worship. I want you to start studying the Bible to teach it and these kinds of things. Had I not done the smaller things, I don't know if I would be here right now. And so what I'm telling you is that do not get hung up you know, uh, th- th- with, with uh, you know, some misunderstanding what ministry is or w- with a misunderstanding what you're called to do, God has given us some blanket um, orders already. You know you're called to share the gospel. It's the Great Commission. You know you're called to serve others, so do that. So do that. If you're hung up and you don't know what else to do, do that. There's plenty of ways that you can serve people. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about side of the church. And, and, and you know, how are you going to um, really bring the gospel to somebody in, in your workplace if you don't ever serve them? They're going to listen to you? That example? Be the example. Be the servant. And, and that will open up doors too. But the point is that you need to be engaged to do something. And, uh, um, you know, I hope that one day when I stand before the Lord... When he says, hey, Tim, what did you do with your life after, not like he needs to know, but he's making me tell him in my mind the way I see this playing out. Tell me what you did with your life after you became a Christian. I want to firmly be able to say, Lord, I believe that I did everything that I knew to do to bring glory to your name. I want to know that I, I believe that I did everything that I saw in front of me to do. And I didn't, it didn't matter how big or small it was, didn't matter how I felt about it. I did everything that I knew to do to to bring glory to your name. I did the best job I could to fulfill my ministry for you. That's what Paul says here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The question is, what can we say about our walk with the Lord? And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's three things that Paul shows us in this text regarding fulfilling our ministries. Two of them relate to what we have to do in order to be successful in fulfilling our ministry, and the last thing has to do with what we receive as a result of being faithful in fulfilling our ministry. First thing we're going to look at is the required mindset to fulfilling our ministry. Look at verse 5. He says, as for you, Always be sober-minded, enduring, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So to be successful in the Christian walk, immediately we understand that it's a mindset. There's a specific mindset that we have to have if we're going to fulfill our ministry. And that isn't just based on this one scripture right here that mentions the word mind, Actually, if you, one of my favorite scriptures is Philippians chapter 2. And uh, in verses 1 through 5, listen to what it says. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you not only look to his own interests but also to the interests of others in verse 5 have this mind among yourselves which is also is which is yours in Christ Jesus And so you know over and over in the Bible uh, we we read this idea that it's about a mindset Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's about a mindset. And what kind of a mindset are we supposed to have? The mindset of Christ. And in particular, these verses, we find that it's an identical mindset. Christians have the same mind. We have an identical mind. We have a harmonious mind. We have a humble mindset. That is the mind of Christ. But Paul goes on to tell us it's also an incredibly sacrificial mind uh, set. Look at verses 6 through 8 in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, speaking of Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What kind of mindset do you have to have to fulfill your ministry? The same kind of mindset Jesus Christ had. You need a specific mindset. And that mindset, I want you to understand, according to verse 5, is yours. You don't have to look for it, it's yours already. And in fact, it comes through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God working in your life, He changes what we call as Christians, Christianese, uh, you know, our worldview. It's our Christian worldview. It's actually just God transforming our mind to see things the way that he sees them. And it's, it's, a, mi- it's a change of the mind. And, um, you know, you will not fulfill your ministry if you don't have the mindset of Christ. Not to the, not to the, to the greatest degree that you could if you did have that mindset. Um, we, we know that everything in life is about a mindset, isn't it? Anything you want to accomplish, it comes through a mindset, right? You have to not just be uh, physically tough to accomplish things, but in everything, you have to be mentally tough. One of my buddies has a, a... he he was a Navy SEAL, and after he was um, finished serving there, he started a, a fitness um, uh, kind of mentorship thing called Seal fit and and basically took the principles from the Navy SEALs and put it into a, a, you know a camp for people, executives, and just people that want to uh, have a, a what what he calls an unbeatable mind. Because if you can if you can train yourself to be mentally tough, you can do a lot of things in this world, folks. You can do a lot of things in this world. It's about mental toughness. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here too. You have to have a mental toughness if you're going to fulfill your ministry. Because stuff's going to happen. Difficulties are going to come. Notice he says that, the, the, that we have to have a, a sober mind. Our mentality has to be, uh, you know, it has, to be a, it has to be a sober mind. Notice he says um, to Timothy, as for you, he's talking to Timothy, but he's talking to you too. Um, you need to have a sober mind. That means, you know, free from intoxins, yes, but it, but it also means this, to behave with restraint and moderation, thus not permitting excess, to be self-controlled, to be restrained, to be moderate in one's behavior. Now, the legalistness would say, well, he's clearly talking about alcohol. No, he's not. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about alcohol at all. Alcohol's, drinking alcohol is not a sin. Being intoxicated is. Two different things. But here's the reality. He's talking about having a mind that behaves uh, with some sort of restraint and moderation. A a, a mindset that doesn't allow itself to be excessive. A mindset that is self controlled. Where do we get that kind of mindset? Through the Spirit of God. Through the Spirit of God, that's the kind of, that's the only place that we can get this kind of mindset. And um, Paul is telling Timothy that he must have this kind of mind if he's going to fulfill his ministry. It, it carries the idea of keeping your head in the game. Anybody ever heard that from their coach? Get your head in the game! I heard it all the time. I'm like, huh? What, what did he say? Get your head in the game. It's like Paul is standing on the sidelines here, yelling at Timothy. Keep your head in the game. Do not get distracted. Operate in self-control and restraint and all these different things. Listen, there are a lot of distractions that come in life. A lot of distractions that come. And uh, if you're not sober-minded, you're going to get off track. You need to be sober-minded. Not only that, but you need to be persevering. You need to have mental perseverance. Uh, As Paul goes on to tell Timothy, endure suffering. The idea is to keep on keeping on even when it costs you physical discomfort. Listen, ministry is, and ministry collectively, anything that we do for the Lord is awesome, but a lot of times it's super hard. There's a lot of things that can happen in, in ministry when you're ministering to, to people. Um, there's a cost involved, there's hardships that arise in this moment. That's why we have to have a perseverance as ministers of the gospel. John MacArthur stated there is no such thing as faithful ministry that is not costly. A painless ministry is a shallow and fruitless ministry. It's true, ministry costs. And uh, that's why we have to be persevering through it because we live in a world that is hostile towards God, and they're hostile. And because they're hostile towards God, they're going to be hostile towards God's people. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20: If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would would love you as its own. But because you are of the, uh, because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There's a cost involved in fulfilling your ministry. First uh, John, the apostle, wrote in 1 John 3, 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Why does that shock you? I can't believe that they're doing this. Really? (laughs) <laughs> Read your Bible. It tells you this is going to happen. These things are going to happen. The world is now. Here's the thing: is I, I, I also am not an advocate for people who are idiots, and I don't mean that. I mean that in the kindest way. <laughs> With all due respect, you know, um, that 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 you know, I'm talking like 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 Westboro Baptist people, that you know that are you know saying things that are that are not of God. But they're representing God, they say. Those kind of people, they deserve what they get, in my opinion, because they're misrepresenting the Lord. But I'm talking about just general people who are serving the Lord and, and you know, who are loving, loving Christ and loving people uh, that when you're doing that, you're going to experience hardships. And, uh, you know... You need to have a perseverance. You need to have a mind that is willing to persevere through difficulties. And um, most of the time when we start getting some backlash, we quit. I'm I'm just not going to say anything then. That's not what the Lord's calling you to do. He's calling you to be faithful, to fulfill your ministry. That requires perseverance. This brings us to our third mentality, which is a missional mentality. Paul goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. Now, I want you to notice how uh, very carefully the way that this is worded. He says, do the work of an evangelist. He doesn't say that Timothy has the gift of evangelism, that he is incorporating the office of evangelist. He's just saying, do the work of the evangelist. And that's the same call for you. You say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, good, just do the work of the evangelist and you're good. That's all you have to do. That's what Paul is saying because I I have a feeling based on the way that, you know, you read uh, some things about Timothy that he was timid and he could maybe use that excuse. I don't have the gift of evangelism. People just don't, they don't seem to just fall on the floor before me when I give the gospel out, you know, kind of thing. So I guess I'm just not gifted in that way. Well, you you know, there are people that, uh, that have the gift of evangelism. That God uses um, in in big ways, um, where they just go out on the street and uh, you know Greg Laurie comes to mind, has the gift of evangelism. Do you know the first time he ever shared the, the his faith with the Lord? Do you know what he did? He took a he took a track out, and he read it directly to the person. Hello, ma'am, are you a Christian? You know, and and he, and he came to the port where he goes, he goes. Yours, you know, he's reading this thing about that she being a sinner and needs a savior and all these kinds of things. And, and literally, he says this. He says, I'm literally reading this. Now, I would like to ask you a question. Would you like to come to Jesus now? And then he looks up at her, and she's crying. And she says, yeah, and then he's like, what do I do? <laughs> But he does have the gift of evangelism. But here's the thing. That gift is cultivated. He started out reading stuff. My point is this, that you, you, you don't have to have, you don't have to hold the office of evangelist to do the work of an, of an evangelist. You need to share the gospel. Romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 74. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You are called to fulfill your ministry through the direct work of an evangelist. You are called to, be, to do that work, even though you may not have the gift of evangelism. And uh, so many people are afraid to do this. And because we're afraid of it because we're, we're afraid of the rejection. We're afraid of how people might respond. You know, when I when I uh, give an altar call, you know, here and, and I don't call people down. But when I give a an altar call here, um, y- you know, I I think there's a tendency for people to feel sorry for me when when maybe somebody doesn't come to the Lord. Listen, do not feel sorry for me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about them. And you know God is doing work, and uh, you know I try to be led by the Spirit in that and in what I'm doing there. But um, but it's about the Lord, and it's about what He's doing. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You know the response is not up to me. It's up to to the to the hearer. But remember, if there's no response, that doesn't mean I stop doing it. I'm still called to do the work of the evangelist. Um, and so, you know, we, we need to go about our normal business in life as ministers of the gospel, and as the Lord opens up these doors, we just, we sow the seed, we water it, and, you know, sometimes the Lord, we get to see the increase, but here's the deal. Somebody has already sowed and somebody's already watered, and the Lord gives the increase. So, so we're in that process somewhere of doing these things. So, you know, do your part. Fulfill your ministry. Do what you're supposed to do and don't worry about the results. You have to have a missional mentality if you're going to fulfill your ministry. You, you have to know that you've been sent. And, um, you, you know, the Lord has already given you that call in the Great Commission. So you are sent. So fulfill it. This brings us to our, our another requirement if we're going to fulfill our ministry and it has to do with the attitude uh, our attitude. We must be faithful at all costs. Look at verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul draws uh, Timothy's mind here in this moment. I think it's kind of interesting to a sacrificial place. He, he draws his mind to the tabernacle. He draws his mind to a specific act that happens in the sacrifice, in the sacrificial process. And he says, he, he, he mentions the term drink offering. Drink offering. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And, and Timothy's mind would probably already, uh, you know, maybe have some understanding of what a drink offering is. We might be like, well, what is a drink offering? Well, let me tell you what a drink offering is. uh, During the sacrificial times, they, they would sacrifice an animal day and night, morning and evening, and accompanying every sacrifice would be a grain offering. After the sacrifice was laid upon the altar, then there would be a grain offering that was given. And after the grain offering was given, then there would be a cup that would be poured out. It was wine that would be poured out at the base of the altar, and that was the drink offering to God. Now, I think this is so incredible, that the picture that's painted here. Because here we have, uh, you know, Paul referring to himself as the drink offering, which I'll talk about in a second. But the drink offering itself is kind of interesting. Because here we have what comes before the drink offering is the grain offering. What do we make out of grain? Bread. Bread. And then we have the, the, the cup that's poured out, which is wine, and, and, and here we have a, and, and that the sacrifice has already been given. Do you see the picture? This is a picture of communion. This is a picture of you and I taking the Lord's Supper. All the way back in the Old Testament, the Lord would say, there will be a sacrifice provided for you. And... After that sacrifice is provided for you, you partake of the grain and the wine to remember the sacrifice. And that is the point of communion. When we come together once a month and we take that bread, the sacrifice has already been given, so the bread comes first. And we partake of the bread which represents the body of Christ. His body sacrificed for us. We remember Jesus that he clothed himself in human flesh. He came down and that he, uh, you know, gave himself for us. We remember his body being broken for us. And then we take the, 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 the little cup, which, by the way, if, if you don't know, our cups are stacked. The bread's in the bottom and the cu- I always forget to tell you this. And then the cup above it is the juice. So you just take them apart and you're like, voila, there they are. So, but then we partake of the, the wine. Which the wine is, uh, it's, it's pointing us back to the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And, um, and Paul is pointing Timothy back to the altar in the tabernacle, in the temple. And he's saying, these sacrifices, the sacrifice has been paid not only is, he, is it a reference to, you know, the body of Christ, but it's also a reference to us. When he, 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 he goes on here and he says, you know, I have already been poured out. This literally means, this carries the idea of a complete uh, giving with no reservation. When, when the liquid was poured out, it was completely emptied from the cup, totally given to God. Notice he says, I have already been poured out. He's not saying, I I will be poured out, but I already have been poured out. This is talking about a lifestyle of the sacrifice being given and you're the drink offering on a daily basis being poured out, giving yourself fully to God, everything that you have, not holding anything back daily. This is past and present tense. I am I have already been poured out as a drink offering. He goes on to say, he he didn't hold anything back from the Lord. He gave him his whole life. And he goes, and now is my time of departure has come, meaning he will die. And there's a departure coming for us all. It's inevitable. You know, ten out of ten people die. No one survives this life. But, you will survive eternity. The question is, where will you survive eternity? Where you spend eternity depends on uh, what you've done with Jesus, doesn't it? Not what you've done with Jesus after you become a Christian, but what you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you do with, you know, his sacrifice on the altar. That's what it comes back to. This This is what... Uh, what will determine our eternity with Christ? You know, will you, will you be a person who spends all of eternity apart from Christ, all of eternity separated from God, or will you be a person that will spend all of eternity reconciled to God in heaven, physical presence, worshiping him forever and ever? And it's interesting that God gave you that, that choice. That he asks you, what will you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you receive it? Will you crown Jesus Lord of your life? Will you acknowledge what he's done on the cross for you? That his blood was shed for you so your sins could be forgiven? There was no other way, folks. It, It required a perfect sacrifice. Perfect blood being shed so that your sins not only could be covered as they were in the sacrifice of the temple, but actually, completely removed. You've been justified by faith. It's not your works that have done these things. It's the it's the works of Jesus Christ, and us putting our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and believing that He was um, that perfect sacrifice by way of resurrection, that He rose again from the dead. You'll be saved. The Bible says, "If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord." and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from being separated from for all of eternity from God. You know, God is a Savior. He, he came to save. He, he wants relationship with us. And because of sin, we're distant from him. We can't have right relationship with God, so he sent a sacrifice. And it's so cool. And I say this over and over again because... It is so impactful that from the moment man sinned, God um, revealed the plan of salvation. He told us that He would save us. All we have to do is acknowledge that, believe in what He's done, and um, you know I I think sometimes we're confused about the gospel in that sense of you know praying a prayer and and that's what it what it what you know that's all it takes is just pray the prayer and. And, and it is nothing more than that. But it's the way that we pray that prayer in sincerity. You know, if you sincerely pray that prayer, giving your life to Christ, making him the Lord of your life, that's when salvation comes. But so oftentimes we, we come to the Lord with a prayer of desperation to get us out of a situation or because we're, we we feel the shame and the guilt and we feel the weight of sin, but we're still not fully giving ourselves over to the Lord. And uh, And the Lord says that, you know, he has to be the most important thing in your life. You have to give, he has to take the throne of your heart in order for you to be saved. And so the gospel is simply a prayer by faith. But it's literally a life yielded to Christ until you go to see him. That's what it means. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the things have passed away, everything's become new. What does that mean? I mean, your life changed. Your life changed. Some of you guys grew up in the church and, and you accepted the Lord when you were young or whatever and, you know, and you're like, well, I, I, I never really saw that life change. Well, oh, well, You did. You did, maybe not to the same degree as somebody else that lived a, a, a longer period of time outside of Christ, right? And got a little bit older and, and got a little bit more trouble, right? Your testimony doesn't have to be the same. But here's the reality is nobody is born good. There are no good people. There, there, there is no one good, Jesus said. And so even if you're raised in the church, that doesn't mean you're good. You might be better than Joe Blow next door that doesn't go to church. Maybe you're not either. But it doesn't matter because that's not the definition of good according to the Bible. So, you know, when you come to Christ and give your life over to him in a sincerity, just fully giving yourself over to him, that's when salvation comes. And then your life is to be lived out as a drink offering before the Lord. You know, not what do you want me to do, Lord, or not, "Hey, Lord, I'll, I'll sprinkle you into my life a little bit here and there, but our life should be all about him. 100 percent about Him. What do you want me to do, Lord? Direct Everything else in this life will pass away. Every achievement that you've ever made. Nobody's going to be walking around heaven and go, hey, remember you down there? You did that. Nobody's going to care about that, right? Nobody's going to be walking around saying, hey, patting you on the back about the human things that you did because th- those, those aren't going to translate into eternity. You know what we are going to be talking about? Hey, remember that time I, I came over your house and you were struggling and, and we prayed and you accepted Christ? Man, that was awesome. That was such a, a, an awesome moment. Because it's about Jesus. It's going to be about the Lord in those moments, in that moment. And, um, you know, C.T. said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I love that. Paul says, my time for departure has come. Your time for departure will come too. You know, in the meantime, what will you do with your life? Will you make it about Christ? Will you live your life for the Lord 100%? You know, doing what he wants you to do? Not because you have to, listen to me, but because you get to. It is such a privilege to live for the Lord. It is such a privilege to um, be used by him in these ways. Listen, he could, he, could bring, he could bring the gospel to people in a gazillion different ways, but he's blessing you with the privilege to do it. What a blessing that is, to be able to see God's hand work. And uh, I'm thankful for the people that took their ministry seriously. Because it impacted my life. People sowing the seed in my life. People watering the seed that had been sown. And then at one point, the Lord gave the increase. And I accepted Christ. And you have the same story. We all have the same story. There's one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. No one else. Paul goes on here and he says, you know, I'm I'm not ashamed of my life. I'm not ashamed of how I live my life. When I stand before God, I know that I'm going to be able to say, Lord, I did everything that I knew to do to bring glory to your name. I have fought the good fight. That means there's a fight to fight, but it's a good one. And it's one that, ha- that eternity is at stake. And so it's a fight that we have to fight on a daily basis. I'm just tired of the fight. Well, listen, you're a soldier. You can't get tired of the fight. If you're tired of the fight, press into it more. What are you doing to encourage yourself to keep going? Have you read your Bible today? Nah, I haven't had time. <laughs> Wait a second. Well, no wonder you don't have any endurance. No wonder that you don't have any um, any any fuel left in the tank. You're not filling yourself back up. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. You know, Paul ran to win. Are you? Are you running to win? What are you running to win? That's the question. He ran the race of this life in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's going to finish it. Not only that, but he also kept the faith you know, there is something also about salvation that is a proof text that we are actually saved, and that is, he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle, we, we, we see sometimes, we see pastors who, you know, whatever, taught the Bible for 20 years, and then they come out and they go, well, I just don't believe in this anymore, I don't believe, you know, that, and, and so you're like, well, hold on a second, I thought that person was saved the proof text of salvation is endurance. Will you endure to the end? You're not saved because you endure, but the fact that you endure is a sign that you are saved. And so he who endures to the end shall be saved. And Paul says, I've endured to the end. I'm going to give my life up. This is somebody who thinks about the end of their life and and stretches out his neck and says, here, go ahead. Do it. Do it. I want to go see Jesus. Do it. This is somebody who, who has, a, has developed a strong enough faith. And, I, I, and honestly, I, I, I know that the Holy Spirit in that moment gives you power you need in the moment. So I'm not here to supernaturally, or to naturally my own power say, oh yeah, I would do that. I wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't know that I would do that. I pray to God that I would do that. But here's what I do know. That the Spirit of God will give me what I need in the moment to do what I need to do. I believe in Jesus with all my heart. I I believe that he he did all the things that he said he did. And I'm living my life for him. And so if that day comes, hey, um, you know, I I want to be able to do what Paul did and say, I kept the faith. I kept the faith. I'm going to, uh, you know, give my life over to the Lord wholly and fully. Paul made Jesus truly the Lord of his life. And he doesn't make any excuses here. About what, why he didn't do anything. He did what he needed to do to keep, to be faithful, to fulfill his ministry. And thus he's telling Timothy, You need to do what you need to do, Timothy, to fulfill your ministry. You have to have the right attitude, and the right attitude, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord no matter what. I'm going to be faithful to God no matter how hard it gets. And if you do that, there's a massive reward for you. Look at verse 8. Henceforth, There is laid up for the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Nothing you do for the Lord will go unrewarded, period. Nothing you do will go unrewarded. And the crazy thing is, is it's his spirit in us doing all these things that we do but somehow we're rewarded for that. That's crazy to me. But Proverbs 19:17 says, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed." The writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews 6:10, "For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name, shown in his for his name in serving the saints as you still do." Paul said in Galatians 6.9, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God rewards those who seek him diligently. There is a reward for the Christian who uh, fulfills his ministry. Paul understands that, and that's why he says with no reservations whatsoever, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The crown that he's speaking of, you guys, many of you know what this is speaking of. It's speaking of the victor's crown. It's a symbol of triumph and honor in the Roman culture. Um, when they would have the sort of Olympic-type games there in Rome, the winners would be given a, a victor's crown, which is nothing more than a laurel wreath that was placed upon their head. And, uh, but it was, a, it was a, a most coveted prize in, in Rome. People wanted that wreath, the, on their head. They wanted to be noticed in, in this way that they were uh, triumphal. They wanted to be honored as, as a victor. And this is probably what Paul is referring to when he mentions this crown. But, he, but, but notice what he says here. It's a crown of righteousness. So, is this a crown we, we, we earn? Because a victor's crown is a crown you earn. Something you do to get. Or is this a crown that everyone gets? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that we are righteous and righteous alone by the blood of Christ, nothing we can do. It's called imputed righteousness. Righteousness that's been given to you. You're clothed with His righteousness. He he taken off your, your garments, your filthy garments, and he's placed his robe of righteousness upon us. And this is the only way that we get into heaven. Paul understands that. He knows that this is the only way um, that, that anyone will get into heaven. But, you know, yet he also mentions that, it, that it's a, a victor's crown. There, there's this idea of is he talking about um, imputed righteousness, Or is he talking about righteousness that was lived out in Christ? And and I believe, based on the text here, that he is speaking about a a righteousness lived out after coming to Christ. Not not righteousness in terms of righteousness that gets you to, to heaven, but righteousness that's been lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as a result of what Christ has done for you. Not not and and not and he says that I fought the good fight I finished the race I kept the faith I I I am I've I've lived my life in such a way that I'm going to receive a crown on my head and we know that there is a reward ceremony that will happen in heaven it's called the bema seat judgment for Christians uh that that judgment will happen you will be judged one day as a Christian You'll be judged for your works, for what you did uh, once you became a Christian uh, forward until you went home to be with the Lord. You will give an account for your life in that moment and and the works that you accomplished during that time frame. And you will be rewarded as such. This is what I believe he's talking about. It's written for us in... uh, 1 um, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest in the day. For the day, speaking of the day you stand before the Lord, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, um, but only as through fire. So Paul calls Jesus the righteous judge here. We're all going to stand before the Lord, going to be judged by him. If you're an unbeliever, that's a different judgment. That's called the white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment. That's where uh, the Lord judges your, your sin for you know, in full weight, no excuses. And that will be the departure into, uh, you know, um, into hellfire for all of eternity as a result of not receiving the gospel. And uh, God, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. And, and then, you know, we as his believers will stand before him and he will, he will look at our works and he will say, hey, these are the things that you've done. Here's your reward. Will everybody get a victor's crown? Everybody will get the crown of life. I don't think everybody gets the victor's crown. I think the victor's crown is for people who are rewarded such a thing, whether it's jewels in your crown or whatever, we could talk about semantics later. But there is a reward for people who live their life for Christ, who, you know, give their all. And uh, this isn't how we're saved, and it clearly says in that text in 1 Corinthians 3 that, you know, you, you can get to heaven without doing anything. But when you get there you might not have much to show for your life here on this earth. But here's what I do know. The one thing will be consistent no matter what is that whatever reward that it, you do get, at some point when the, when the angels in heaven, according to Revelation 4.10, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, every throne, will, every crown will be cast before the throne of Christ. And we'll say, it was all you, Lord, all glory to you. The reward that you've given me, you deserve, God. It was all you doing these things. So regardless if we all get this crown or a crown or whatever, the reality of it is that whatever we do in this life, whatever reward we receive will find its way back to the feet of Jesus. uh, You know, in, in the moment of worship when we're recognizing who he is and what he's truly done for us. What an amazing moment that will be. Let me ask you, Christian, what, what are you doing to fulfill your ministry? Are you fulfilling your ministry? Are you on mission? Do you have the right mindset in order to, uh, you know, do all that God's calling you to do? You know, are you, expect, are you expecting a reward one day? The call is clear here. The, the exhortation to all Christians, not just Timothy, but to you and I is to fulfill your ministry. And, um, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. You know, and so I want to encourage you this morning, exhort you, if you're stuck here today, and you're like, I have no idea what I can be doing, listen, <laughs> Just go out, go out in the yard and start picking up trash. Do something. Do something to get yourself in a place of, service-ship to God. Do something. Um, Talk to Pastor Mike. Talk to Pastor Brian myself. We're not going to tell you what your ministry is. We're not going to give you a 50-50 questionnaire thing that says here, okay, according to this, this is your ministry. We're not doing that. That's not our role. Our role is to encourage you, to support you, to help you, to pray with you. But you need to hear from the Holy Spirit specifically on what you're called to do. I can tell you what I see. But that doesn't mean that that's the right thing for you. Like, you know, but you do need to do something. You do need to get yourself in a habit of serving the Lord in some way, shape, or form in fulfilling your ministry. And as you do that, God will make it clearer and clearer and clearer as to what you're called uh, to do. Remember, he doesn't give us more until we're faithful with what we have. Right until we're doing something with what he's what he has, and then he won't give us more. He, and the excuse that uh, you know that we make a lot of times is I didn't know what to do. Hmm. No excuses. Do something for the Lord. If you're if you're fulfilling your ministry right now, keep going, keep going. It's not over. You know, you're you're. you're listen, I don't care how old you are. You know, I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. Your ministry is not fulfilled yet. Your ministry will be fulfilled when you breathe your last breath. I pray to God that you have to pry this pulpit out of my dead, cold hands when I die. Pray that you're like, he fulfilled his ministry, man. Literally. What an awesome way to go, you know. You're just like, But you are a drink offering before the Lord. The sacrifice has been made. You know, here we are. Here's my life, God. I'm being poured out. I'm giving you completely and totally control, whatever you want to do. Do what you want to do, Lord. And, um, you know, the, the result of that is we get a reward, but that's not why we do it. We do it because he is worthy, and he deserves our whole life. Christ gave his whole life. He deserves our whole life. Amen? Father, thank you for your word this morning and thank you for your goodness, Lord, to, to reveal to us, Lord, the, this specific call in our lives, Lord, that um, you're calling us to fulfill the ministry that you've given us, whatever that might be. And of course, we have blanket ministries and all of those things, Lord. But I believe right now, Lord, there are people in this room that are confused about what they're called to do. And uh, I know you are got a clarity You're not a God of confusion. And so if we're confused, it's um, there's some wires crossed on our end. Will you help us to understand that, Lord? Will you give us clarity on why it is that we're confused? And will you give us um, um, some steps forward, God, to be able to... Um, to know how to navigate through this life. To, to get rid of the confusion. To have clarity. So that we can fulfill the work that you've called us to. Your word tells us we are your workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you created beforehand that we should walk in. And I don't think it's... You didn't make it a mystery God. You're the revealer of mysteries. So you reveal to those this morning that need to hear from you in that way and uh, as we just continue to pray if that's you will you lift your hand I just want to pray for you I want to pray a prayer specifically for you this morning that God will give you clarity in what it is that you're called to do if you're confused you don't know what you're called to do God bless you God bless you anyone else God bless you. you you want to serve him more but you're not sure what to do and you just want to take some steps of faith right now to just say hey Lord show me Anyone else? Father, thank you for these hands that have gone up here. And you see their heart, Lord. You know the heart's desire is to give their all to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, even right now, God, that you would make that clear. That you would speak a word even now. Lord, that you would give clarity and understanding. That you would give a picture, even a vision, Lord. Um, I pray even after the service that you would give maybe some in this this congregation who have the gift of um, the word of knowledge, uh, words of wisdom, Lord, that you would impart that to these who seek you this morning in this way and then confirm it, Lord. Uh, May we not be Gideons who look for sign after sign after sign, but Lord, may your voice be enough And just confirm it, Lord, and and may we just continue on in our service to you. So I pray for clarity right now, Lord. I thank you for your Holy Spirit being here and giving us that understanding. Lord, for all the rest of us, Lord, here, you know each one of our hearts. You know where we sit with you. If we need salvation, Lord, uh, you can come forward and pray with these two guys up in the front here. Receive Christ as your Savior. Lord, if we just need some endurance this morning, will you just fill us with your Spirit? Father, if we, uh, if we just need to, Lord, get over um, the excuses we make for ourselves and just press on towards the prize, then, Lord, may that be the word that you speak to us. We thank you for tonight, or for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We ask you to just continue as we uh, close in this last song, Lord. Send your spirit. Do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us?